This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I hope that uh, most of you by now have had a chance to take a look at our newly refurbished uh, website. The home page of which features a um, photograph of uh, taxi cabs uh, jostling their way, I believe, through Times Square. And it's a photo, I don't recall exactly where or how we, we found it, but when I saw it, it immediately, to me, said something important about how we at Ordinary Mind think of practice in the midst of everyday life. It would have been uh, simpler and certainly more conventional to have a photograph of the statue of the Buddha in the garden, something uh, bucolic in the midst of the city, right? something that suggests the idea of a silent retreat or oasis in the midst of uh, the hubbub of the city. That would be probably most people's idea of uh, what a meditation center is supposed to be for them in their lives. A little um, oasis or island of quiet in the midst of the noise of their everyday life. While there's an aspect of that that is certainly true, it's really antithetical to what we and what Joko were attempting to do by keeping a Zen center right in the midst of, uh, of everything. She always avoided the idea, resisted the idea that the Zen center move into a quiet rural setting. Uh, she was in a suburban neighborhood, but one which abutted upon uh, a sometimes uh, well, almost sleazy uh, <laughs> commercial street leading down to the beach uh, that had its uh, share of uh, tattoo parlors and meth labs before Breaking Bad made that uh, romantic. <laughs> uh, but she thought that uh, the point of our practice was not to ever retreat from such things, but to learn how to practice in the midst of them. 
often, uh, in the context of our meal chants, uh, speak of the lotus growing in the mud. And the question becomes whether we attempt to be one pure thing in a muddy or contaminated world, or whether, in fact, we take the muddy water of our daily life as our natural habitat, which feeds and is intimately connected with the whole idea of practice. Now the whole image of the um, traffic in the middle of the city is, uh, I would say, of course, two-sided because on one hand we are attempting to find our right relationship to all that we are immersed in in daily life, trying to devise the skillful means to negotiate our way through all of that. What does it mean to function compassionately or function at least in a way that does no harm in the midst of all that striving and competition? How do we act skillfully towards this outer world of turmoil? But also, of course, it represents what's going on inside of us all the time, and what brings us to practice, because the internal noise and traffic is usually at least as disturbing to people uh, as the external noise and traffic. To some extent, people all harbor the idea that if they could just get away from it all, find themselves in a calm and peaceful place, uh, their inner world would come down uh, to mirror their outer, the outer world. And in part, that's true. We can be settled down by nature settled down by being in a retreat center. But for most people, uh, that only takes them so far. And uh, more often what I hear is that when people do get away from it all, uh, in rather short order, the uh, quiet and calm of wherever they're retreating to is... uh, compromised or even contaminated by what they've brought to that environment uh, themselves and that their own preoccupations and thoughts and judgments because they have sort of no external demands in order sort of to put a cork in it uh, all that starts bubbling up 
even more than usual. Uh, it's very common that people on retreat feel the pressure uh, and the pain uh, and the conflict of their inner lives much more acutely when they don't have the distractions of the things they um, think they want to escape from. <laughs> uh, we, I think we don't usually appreciate the extent to which all our ordinary worries that we complain about all the time in fact serve as a kind of um, way of avoiding what we actually feel like when we're alone with ourselves, which is often uh, very judgmental, uh, very empty, depressed, critical, uh, questioning of who we are, what, what we're doing here, what our life adds up to. These could be very difficult and painful questions that most of the time we can uh, avoid facing because we're caught up in the minutiae of uh, getting from here to there, paying bills, fulfilling obligations, or just being plugged into the distractions and screens of everyday life. So our practice is one in which we are not trying really to calm anything down uh, or to control anything uh, beyond a certain very minimal uh, point. I mean, if you're driving a cab in the city, you have to have some uh, at least basic uh, driving skills to, to navigate things. And if you're going to sit at a zendo, you have to learn some basic rules of ritual and how to sit still and what it means to go with the flow of, uh, of a zendo, follow along with everyone else, follow the uh, traffic patterns of Kidhin, not going too fast or too slow, just like uh, being in traffic in the streets. But we can only control so much, both inside and outside. And uh, pretty soon we come up against our own curative fantasies that practice is going to be about you know, self-control. And we find that there's only so much of our body or mind that's controllable. Uh, we can train our bodies up to a point, but we can't keep our knee from hurting or our leg from falling asleep if we sit for a long time or our back hurting. All these things just happen and we have to deal with them. We can discipline our mind to concentrate, 
count our breath, focus on a koan. But we cannot control what bubbles up from the unconscious. We can't control all the fantasy and transference that being in a group, being with a teacher, being with either the support or rivalry or comparison with other students uh, brings up. All, the, all these things involuntarily will present themselves in the mirror of our mind and we have to be able to, to face that. See, to the extent that we harbor an idea of calmness and of quiet, everything that happens inside and outside in our lives becomes either an obstacle or an enemy. If you drive through Manhattan and think it's all supposed to go smoothly, you're just going to be mad all the time. (laughs) If you try to sit in a zendo and think that my mind should be like empty, like a clear blue sky, you end up fighting a losing battle with yourself all the time. You end up divided against yourself, one one part hating another for never being able to get it right, for never having the kind of calmness and clarity you're supposed to have or you think the person next to you has got and you don't. Right? We, we will we'll be in an endless losing war with our life. We have to find a way to accept and go with the flow of our inner life the same way we have to go with the flow of traffic in our outer life. I think that picture is a uh, very good one of what our life and practice needs to be. Uh, whether it's what we have in mind when we first come to a zendo or not. 